Indeed, O oh God, we are a people who come to lay ourselves before you all over again. It's not enough to do it last Sunday, because we understand that day after day we, we are confronted with, with attractions that will steal our souls, things that will draw us, that will mean we're moving away from you. And so we come to be reminded of our first love. We come to be reminded of who we are and whose we are. We come to be reminded that we are creatures. We, this is your pasture. We didn't make us. You made us. That you're the owner. We're tenants. So we've come to say to the owner how, how much we long to please you. And we pray that you will empower us by the indwelling Holy Spirit to do that which, is, which will bring you a smile to do that which will uh, bring you glory. Now, Father, take our monies. Uh, money is so important to us, O oh God, and for so many of us, it's too important. And I pray that you'll take these monies and use them for the advancement of the kingdom of Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Thank you. Uh, guys, um, I am starting a new series this morning. Uh, actually, it's it's really not a new series. It's a series within a series. We're still studying the, uh, uh, the life of Jacob. But um, uh, I, I want to do a, another little series within that that will really kind of take us to the end of October almost. And, um, and it's entitled, A Theology of Limping. And you'll understand that in just a minute. But... Um, it's drawn, uh, it's based on chapter 32 of the book of Genesis. Uh, chapter 32 is not exactly what you call well-known. It's not one of those chapters that everybody knows a lot about and looks at often. It's, it's one that I hope will become well-known to you and, and meaningful. For whatever set of reasons, uh, chapter 32 has come to mean a great deal to me. Um, I, I guess one of the things that I'm so attracted to in Genesis 32 is the whole idea of wrestling. Because I see so much of my own life as, as a wrestling match. Uh, I wrestle with my fears. I wrestle with temptation. I, I wrestle with with family, I, I wrestle with uh, my flesh. I, I wrestle with uh, doing God's will and, and, and on and on. And, and if you're not much of a wrestler, which I, I can hardly imagine, but if you're, this series is probably not going to mean much to you. I can say also another thing that, that attracts me to Genesis 32 is the, um, is the idea of limping. And you're going to see that in just a minute, the, uh, the limping. You know, some of you know that I, I have wanted to write a book. Uh, <laughs> I, I say this every two or three years or so. Uh, I, I wanted to write a book, and I wanted to write it on uh, the life of Jacob. And I started writing the book, and it was so abysmally awful that I stopped. And I've set it aside and probably will never go back to it. Because really, I, I'm not saying that, uh, you know, for your sympathy. It was awful. It was just awful. And, um, but I did have one good thing, and that was the title. 
the title of my book I really liked. I'd, I'd stick with the title. And the title is, or was, Bludgeoned by Grace. That would be the title of my book. Bludgeoned by Grace. And the title comes out of Genesis 32. And again, you'll, you'll understand that in a minute. Now, guys, um, I know that it's hard for you to concentrate when you're being read to. But it is absolutely essential that we read this whole story through completely once. And so in, in my effort to not bore you and to, to keep you with me, I've asked Liza Reinhardt to help me read the text. I've even uh, given you an insert. The insert, uh, the text, is in, your, is in your, your bulletins. It's there for you. Um, you know, I'm, I'm reading from an English Standard Version, and not many of you have an English Standard Version, but you've got it now. It's in that little uh, tan sheet, the English Standard Version of Genesis 32 through verse 4 of Genesis 33. It's there for you. Um, I, um, I, I can tell you this, because of all that we've had going on today, we, might, we probably won't get too far in the text. In fact, my only, my only hope is to get through verses 1 and 2 this morning. Um, but I hope I give you enough to whet your appetite for more. But, but you're going to have to decide that. This study in Genesis 32, gang, is going to take us far and wide throughout the Bible. But, but we've got to begin with a simple grasp of the story itself. Um, it, it is this story on which I am basing this series that I'm entitled, A Theology of Limping. So, grab your Bibles or grab the insert, and follow as we read for you God's inerrant word. Genesis 32, at verse 1. Lisa. Jacob went on his way, and the angels of God met him. And when Jacob saw them, he said, This is God's camp. So he called the name of that place Mahanam. And Jacob sent messengers before him to Esau, his brother, in the land of Seir, the country of Edom, instructing them, Thus you shall say to my lord Esau, Thus says your servant Jacob, I have sojourned with Laban and stayed until now. I have oxen, donkeys, flocks, male servants, and female servants. I have sent to tell my lord in order that I may find favor in your sight. And the messengers returned to Jacob, saying, We came to your brother Esau, and he is coming to meet you, and there are four hundred men with him. Then Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed. He divided the people who were with him and the flocks and herds and camels into two camps, thinking, If Esau comes to the one camp and attacks it, then the camp that is left will escape. And Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac, O Lord who said to me, Return to your country and and to your kindred that I may do you good. I am not worthy of the least of all the deeds of steadfast love and all the faithfulness that you have shown to your servant. For with only my staff I crossed this Jordan, and now I have become two camps. Please deliver me from the hand of my brother, From the hand of Esau, for I fear him, that he may come and attack me, 
the mothers with the children. But you said, I will surely do you good and make your offspring as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for multitude. So he stayed there that night, and from what he had with him, he took a present for his brother Esau, 200 female goats and 20 male goats, 200 ewes and 20 rams, 30 milking camels and their calves, 40 cows and 10 bulls, 20 female donkeys and 10 male donkeys. Then he handed over to his servants every drove by itself and said to his servants, Pass on ahead of me and put a space between drove and drove. He instructed the first, When Esau, my brother, meets you and asks you, To whom do you belong? Where are you going? And whose are these ahead of you? Then you shall say, They belong to your servant Jacob. They are a present sent to my lord Esau. And moreover, he is behind us. He likewise instructed the second and the third and all who followed the droves. You shall say the same thing to Esau when you find him. And you shall say, Moreover, your servant Jacob is behind us. For he thought, I may appease him with the present that goes ahead of me, and afterward I shall see his face. Perhaps he will accept me. So the present passed on ahead of him, and he himself stayed that night in the camp. The same night he arose and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his eleven children, and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream and everything else that he had. And Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip. And Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, let me go, for the day has broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. Then he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, Please, tell me your name. But he said, Why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, saying, For I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. The sun rose upon him as he passed through Penuel, limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the people of Israel do not eat the sinew of the thigh that is on the hip socket because he touched the socket of Jacob's hip on the sinew of the thigh. And Jacob lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, Esau was coming, and four hundred men with him. So he divided the children among Leah and Rachel and the two female servants, And he put the servants with their children in front, then Leah with her children, and Rachel and Joseph last of all. He himself went on before them, bowing himself to the ground seven times until he came near to his brother. But Esau ran to meet him and embraced him and fell on his neck and kissed him, and they wept. The grass withers and the flower fades, 
But the word of our God, it endures forever. Something that I used to do every time I started a new study. And I haven't done it in a long time. At least I don't think I have. Uh, I can't remember it. But uh, something I used to do is, before I'd start a new study, I, I would tell this story. It's, it's a fictional story. I mean, it's, a, it's, it's an untrue story. It's just, a, it's just an illustration is all it is. And what it does is, is address the question, why is it that we study the Bible at all? So l- listen to this story, and it might help. Imagine that you're a... Um, a raw Marine recruit. And you've just signed up to be a Marine and, and they have shipped you to Paris Island for six months of, of boot camp. And, um, you have been assigned to, um, the roughest, toughest, uh, drill sergeant of them all. And indeed, that six weeks of, uh, boot camp was horrific. It was hard. Every part of it was hard. But you made it. And you come to the last day of your training. And um, the, uh, the drill sergeant gets your platoon together and takes you out to this field. And he says, uh, gentlemen, for your last training exercise, this is, the last, this is the last piece of your training. And uh, here's what I want you to do. I want, you see that field? Yes, sir. I want you to cross from this side of the field... To that side of the field. And you're thinking, well, gosh, we've done that before. You know, no big deal. You know, I can accomplish this. I've seen this before. I'll be be fine. And then the sergeant adds this. And gentlemen, you know, we've crossed this field before. And you know that ammunition that was flying over your heads when we were doing it? You know, those tracers and those, those blanks? Well, today, the ammunition is the real thing. And you lift up your head too high, and you're going to be a dead man. And by the way, not only that, you know those little uh, trip wires to the landmines that we had in that field uh, that were firecrackers? And they would explode in your face and throw a little dirt in your face? Remember those? Well, today it's different. Those things out there today are the real thing. They're real landmines, and you trip one of those... And they're going to blow you to smithereens. And you say, um, 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 Sergeant, um, uh, really, um, uh, could, could, uh, 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 you know, I don't want to, could you, could you possibly tell us where the land mines are? And he says, ha, no way. That's a part of the fun. Now get on with it. Now guys, the point of that story is this. You and I uh, live in a a minefield. Uh, It's a minefield called life. And there are issues after issue after issue that, if wrongly handled, will blow you to smithereens. Things like raising a family. (laughs) Oh, it was hard when we did it. It's much harder now that you're doing it. It seems like every advancing six months, it gets harder on you parents. 
And then there's the um, managing a marriage. You know, she's not as wonderful as you thought, and you're certainly not as wonderful as she thought. But uh, maintaining and managing a marriage over years. Or um, plotting a career. One wrong move, and you can, you can change your life forever. You, you, you go in one wrong direction, and you might get blown to smithereens. The Bible is a book that gives us a route through the minefield. That's why we study it. It's, it's a book that tells you how to manage life. It's a book that steers you through all of the twists and the turns and the complexities that you face managing this thing called life. And you know, guys, um, when, when I read Genesis 32, I thought of that story again. Because there is stuff in here that is, that is imperative for us to get. I mean, get. Not know. To, to get it where it seeps down from the head into the heart. Get it that way. And so, um, when I saw this story of Jacob and, and, um, his wrestling with God, I, I thought it might be good for us to slow down and take a good long look at some of the things that are contained in there. You might remember that uh, Jacob left uh, the promised land 20 years earlier. It was back in Genesis 28 at verse 10 where he, um, where he left the, the promised land and headed off to uh, his, uh, what ultimately became his father-in-law. But uh, when he left the promised land, he encountered angels. Do you remember that? It was that whole Bethel event where uh, the angels were ascending and descending on the, on the ladder. Do you remember that? That's in Genesis 28. That was, 28. that was 20 years ago. When he left the promised land, he was met by angels. Um, well, now, 20 years later, he's returning to that land... Once again, uh, and here as he returns, he is met by angels. That's what this Mahanaim um, term, that means two camps. That's what he's referring to. He's referring to those two camps where when he left, he met angels. And now he's coming back and he met angels. So in the first phase of his spiritual life, in this first chapter of, uh, of his walk with God, this 20-year period for Jacob, um, this, this, this beginning season of his walking with God, God has kept his promise. He made him a promise in chapter 28, verse 15, and, and God promised Jacob I will be with you. That's 28.15. So all that wrangling that you saw with his wives and all of that injustice that he got from his father-in-law Laban and all that, that, that tension and that conflict that we've read about in these uh, preceding four chapters, 
in all of that, God is still with him. God has been with him those whole 20 years and acting like, or providing somewhat of a shelter and an escort for him. You might remember that 20 years earlier, it was Esau, he was fleeing to Laban to get away from Esau. Well, now 20 years later, he's fleeing Laban, he's fleeing to Esau to get away from Laban. And God has been with him all along. The angels, we're told in verses 1 and 2, they meet him. They don't just appear, they meet him. They, 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 they serve as a welcoming party, a physical and spiritual reminder of God's relentless grace in his life. Grace will not let him go. And God reminds him of that 20, 20 years after he had told him of it in the first place. Um, over the course of Jacob's lifetime, or these last 20 years, he has been attended by a tenacious, renovating grace that has encompassed him and, and guarded him in that 20-year period. Now, chapter 32, Jacob is back on a path of obedience and headed back to the promised land. And on that path, God meets him and encourages him in, in, that, in this path that he's now on. Jacob, Jacob was a conniver. He was a charlatan. He was a, he was a kind of an ancient sideshow pitch man. He, he swindled for almost everything that he had. His, his life is a chronicle of, of backroom deals and and uh, uh, disguises and sleights of hand. He is a portrait. Jacob is a portrait of self-reliance, of a man who is true to himself and nobody else. But that's all about to change. And it begins. It starts. With Jacob putting himself on this path of obedience. You know, guys, um, I, have been a, I have been ordained in the gospel ministry 31 years. In over 31 years, I have watched way too many people self-destruct. While they walk down a path of disobedience. Oh, we, we want to do right. But we're prepared to do wrong. If need be. It's not that we're, that we're defiant or, or that we, we utterly refuse to obey. It, it's just that we, um, it's just that we're overcome at times with our own fears. And that path that God sets out for us is, is, is just not the path that we think is best for us. And so we charge off into a direction on a path that, that we deem more suitable for our particular circumstances. Never mind that there is a path that we know is marked with obedience. That one just doesn't seem to work for us. 
We're going to choose our own. Because it's this one that just takes into account all of the stresses and the strains that I happen to experience in my unique little life. I met with a couple some time back, and um, from the moment they entered my office, they told me quite emphatically that the problem, that their problem was money, which I thought was a tad odd because they were both employed in the world of high finance, um, and, and the more they talked the more I saw Genesis 32 in them. First of all, the thing that, that they reminded me of is this wrestling. Oh, they were in a wrestling match, all right. And they were, they were losing rather badly. And secondly, they, they had multiple idols in their life, and only one of them was this money thing, and all of those idols needed to die. The, um, the husband was in the middle of his career and, and uh, couldn't imagine doing anything else, and yet he was miserable and he wanted to quit. The wife was a woman who had come from a divorced home. And early on in her life, she had decided that if I'm ever going to have any security at all, it's going to come through my career. Their marriage was um, lusterless at best. The husband um, had numerous physical problems for which he took a lot of pills. And I listened to them. And I ached for them. And I told them two things. I, I said, if you will put yourself on a path of obedience, God will meet you there. As he did Jacob. If you will just put yourself on a path of obedience, you can expect God to meet you there. But, but, that path for them, it, it appeared so impossible, so far away, so remote. It, it was just a, it was just undoable. It, it just was impossible. We couldn't possibly get from where we are back to that. And I assured them that, that any man or woman who, who makes a choice that is, that is born of, that is, that is fueled by faith, that is, I'm gonna do this because I think God would have me do this. Anytime we make any decision like that, God is gonna honor that decision. He's going to, um, He's gonna meet us. On that path of obedience. 
And then I, um, I read them one verse out of Exodus 15. Listen to this. I read them this. If you will diligently listen to the voice of the Lord your God and do that which is right in His eyes and give ear to His commandments and keep all His statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you that I put on the Egyptians. For I am the Lord, your healer. I read that to them and I, I told them that a life of obedience is, is healthier. It's less plagued. And I, and I urged them. I pled with them and I told them, I said, if you stay where you are, then you're simply going to inflict further ruin on yourselves. They listened, and the wife began to cry. And then the other thing that I told them is that if they ever do get on this path of obedience, that there would still be some battles to be fought. You know, Jacob, once on this path, still had to meet up with Esau. Oh yeah, there there, there would still be some things that they'd have to face And even before meeting up with Esau, you you just may end up wrestling with God. You may it may appear that God is your opponent. As it appears here for Jacob. Jacob climbs onto a path of obedience, and God adorns that start. With a, with a refreshing and an encouraging visit from angels. But eventually, later on in this chapter, God will meet Jacob on this path and he will wrestle him to the ground. And then I tell this couple, I said, do you know the beauty Do you know the beauty of wrestling with God and losing? Do you know anything about that? Do you know what it means to wrestle with God and lose and then rejoice at having lost? And then the rest of your life you walk with a limp. And the limp is there just as a reminder Reminder of the beauty of having wrestled with God and lost. I told them that their fears, in one sense, would probably increase if they ever got on a path of obedience because that path introduces more of the unknown, more of the unpredictable into their lives. And I tell them that faith is often a tremendous venture into the dark. 
They listened. And then they left. And I really don't know what they did. But for now, ladies and gentlemen, let's not talk about them. Let's talk about you. Where are you? In your walk with Jesus Christ, where are you? Have your own disobediences, your, your own efforts at sorting out life, that is, based on wisdom that you brought to the table, your own attempts to run your own life, have you found that it didn't work too well? And that you're floundering and wondering and, a, and just a bit disillusioned and somewhat empty. Wondering, I thought this walk with Christ was supposed to be something. And mine isn't. May, may I suggest to you the Jacob remedy? First of all, ladies and gentlemen... I plead with you to find a path of obedience and get on it, whatever that means to you, whatever that's going to demand, whatever that takes, get on it. I, I may have to make some pretty drastic alter. Yeah, you might. But find that path of obedience and get on it. I tell you, ladies and gentlemen, so few Christians walk with a limp because they haven't taken that first step. They've never... Serious obedience is a foreign concept to them. You know, I wanted to nod my head to Jesus, get a ticket to heaven stuck in my pocket and get sprayed with a coat of asbestos and then chase off into a life that I myself determined where the rights and the wrongs were. You're going to have to get off that one and get on to the one that God has delineated and it is there that the God of all grace will meet you the God of all grace who refuses to let you go will meet you there and encourage you there gang this God of ours will always honor attempts attempts that are fueled by faith Attempts to obey Him. And where He demands, you can count on His provision. And then the other part of this is, you need to know this, ladies and gentlemen. You need to know that that path of obedience that I'm pleading for you to get on is not free from difficulty. 
your fears early on just may increase because you have introduced into your life more of the unknown. And then, hopefully, hopefully, you're in for a wrestling match. A wrestling match that you, uh, you're going to lose. And you're going to love it that you lost. And then you're going to walk around the rest of your life with a limp. And that limp will be there to remind you of the beauty and the joy of wholesale obedience to the living God. My brother and sister in Christ, never trust a man who doesn't walk with a limp. Our Father, I do pray that you will encourage your people, that you will remind them that every path of obedience is marked off with your presence, with your encouragements, with your faithfulness. And the reason that things have gone so amok is because we've not yet found that path. And I pray, O oh God, that you will fill our church with a group of men and women who know what it means to wrestle with God and lose and then rejoice at having lost. A congregation filled with men and women who live out the rest of their days walking with a limp. A limp of utter yieldedness to the God who, who has a right to command how I live my life. Do that, Father, for the honor and glory of your Son and our Savior. In His name we pray.